Hello, welcome to Two Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on as well as highly informed about something new. Hi guys, I have such a special episode for you this week that I'm so excited about. It's with Emily Maloney, a new friend. She's LA based and she's a holistic health coach. We talked all things endometriosis, symptoms, how to know if you have it, testing and treatments. We went even deeper into hormonal health, discussing why Emily got off of birth control and how to balance your hormones naturally. We also talked about matcha lattes at the end of the episode, so check that out. The weekly challenge this week is to ditch refined sugar for one week. Listen to this episode to find out how refined sugar shows up on ingredient labels and why it sucks for your sweet, sweet bod. You guys can do it. Remember to follow me at Jackie on Instagram for weekly challenge updates. Don't forget to watch the stories. Also, follow me at TooSickAndNaked.com. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share with your friends. All the love is welcome here, and I love you. See you over there. Hi, everyone. It's your host, Jackie Shea here, and today I'm with Emily Maloney, holistic health coach from LA, focused on helping women heal and thrive from the inside out. As a sufferer of endometriosis, she is very passionate about all things women's health. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk about women's health. I am on like a total rampage right now, just seeking all solutions and just obsessed with women and how they care for their bodies. So I'm really, really excited to talk to somebody so knowledgeable. Thank you. So I, in preparing for this uh, chat, I did some research on you. And when I read your latest blog post, one thing really stood out. You write, I find myself so darn passionate about wellness simply because the first 20 years of my life were completely devoid of health, self-care, purpose, or peace. Yes. I relate to that hardcore, and I bet a lot of people out there do. I think so. I mean, especially people who are now passionate about health and wellness. I think a lot of it comes from a desire for that, a subconscious longing for a better life. Um, Growing up, you know, my main meals were drive-through, frozen, pizza, mac and cheese, boxed, you know, all of the great things. Um, And we weren't really taught too much about how to fuel our bodies. Um, It was more about eating on the go. What was the quickest? What was the cheapest? What was the fastest? And, you know, you learn 25, 30, 40, even 50 years down the line that everything you're eating is filled with sugar, processed ingredients, chemicals. I mean, the list goes on. And it's, you know, it's something that we really need to discuss more and more in the general population because we're seeing kids with terrible diseases and, you know, obesity, diabetes, heart disease from a younger and younger age. And I think a lot of it has to do with that most of us were devoid of health for our entire upbringing. Yeah, it's really coming to a head now. People are sicker than ever. And I always trace it back to like the frozen dinners starting in the 50s, -hmm. the TV dinners Mm -hmm. that they called them, right? And we suddenly became this society based on convenience. Yes. And started using like simple examples like reuse, um, like, uh, sorry, disposable diapers mm-hmm. and like the the amount we drove our cars and the way we polluted the earth. And it was all based in this convenience. Mm-hmm. And food is the most obvious example of that. Sure. And I think the interesting thing is that it actually started, um, you know, in 
the World War One era when there was a lot of rationing going on and that we really needed to eat things that would fuel us in a way that we could just move our bodies and, you know, eat and move move on to the next thing and also not break the bank. And I think a lot of people were struggling with money, with time, with stress as it relates to husbands being in a war that we really needed anything to feed our families as quickly and easily as possible. And we adapted that and we unfortunately never looked back. Right. And you talked a couple times just now about being on the go. Mm-hmm. And that was really true in my house too. Like there was no sitting still. There was no feeling your feelings because there was no there was no time. There was like a lot of distraction. The TV was on all of the time. Mm-hmm. My mom took us outside and every chance she could. It was just all about running away, running away, running away. Um, and you do mention peace in your in, – in that thing that I quoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – I think that's part of it too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know I grew up with both of my parents, which was amazing, but you know, there was a lot of drama in the house with ex-wives, not mine, my father's, <laughs> um, step-siblings, half-siblings, you name it. It was a lot of wondering if my dad was going to be yelling or angry that night or if I was going to make it to my dance practice, if my mom was going to be home late from work. And I think like you touched on running around, being on the go kind of just running away from issues and talking. We were just always busy and kind of filling our minds and our thoughts and our bodies with whatever, like you said, was convenient and going to keep pushing us further away from kind of sitting down and really being contemplative about what we want and what we needed. Right. Yeah. And the trauma piece is a really big piece. You're always stressed out. You're always – your hormones are flooding your body, right? Mm -hmm. And you're always like – ready for the drama and that's all really unhealthy. So when did you start to experience your endo pain? Hmm. Um, I would say I started my period for the first time when I was 13. Um, it was from what I understood to be normal. One year later uh, at age 14, I was put on birth control because my cramps were very severe and I missed school at least once a day per month every time I had a period for my entire high school life. Wow. Yeah. Um, sex was painful. I mean, it was it was a whole lot of issues that, from what I understood, was quote-unquote normal, and I just needed to switch out my birth controls or try a new type of um, muscle relaxer or go to a different gynecologist to see different results. So I bounced around between four to five gynecologists in about six years, um, tried seven to 10 different birth controls, um, and was really just trying to figure out what worked for me when realistically all I needed to do was cut the birth control, get in tune with what was going on in my body, and really understand that no debilitating pain that sent me to the ER was not in fact normal. Right. So so on that note, what is endometriosis? So endometriosis is a disease where the lining that um, is in the uterus grows outside of the uterus. So in places like on the fallopian tubes, on your ovaries, outside of the uterus, on your abdominal wall, and on your bladder. Um, the issue with this is, is that it acts similar to the lining of the uterus and it sheds once a month. So our period is actually the lining of the uterus shedding and bleeding out of the vaginal cavity. When it's growing outside of the uterus, it attempts to shed, but there's nowhere for it to drain. So if you have this piece of tissue on your bladder, 
it attempts to shed, it um, kind of blisters, and then it calcifies on itself, growing more and more that can cause severe pain, inflammation, um, scar tissue, and infertility. So the interesting thing is that you could have your entire abdominal cavity filled with endometrial um, tissue and have zero symptoms. On the Mm. other hand, you could have one lesion on your bladder and experience the most debilitating pain in the world. So it's really frustrating because there's not a clear level of correlation between the amount of endometrial lesions that are growing in the body and your symptoms. So it's, it's a lot of guesswork. And actually, a majority of women who are infertile actually have endometriosis and don't uh, don't produce any of the other symptoms. So they don't find out until they're going to their fertility doctor at age 36 trying to get pregnant and then learning that they're actually infertile because the lesions have grown so deep and the scar tissue has become so irreversible that, you know, their fallopian tubes are no longer working or their ovaries are no longer producing eggs. Right. So what's interesting about how you describe it is that it's hard to diagnose. It's very hard. Because it sounds like, oh, like do an ultrasound and you'll see all mm-hmm. that stuff, but you don't. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing is that the ultrasound actually does not pick up because it is the same tissue. It reads tissue. Um, I'm not an expert in in uh, imaging, uh, so you know, forgive me <laughs> if, I, if I'm not super medical with my approach to this, but... Yeah, so the the ultrasound, it views the tissue within the body and it can't differentiate between the tissue that should and should not be on your bladder, for example. So I was going to the doctor and getting um, ultrasounds because I thought maybe I had cysts, maybe I had some weird growth in there and everything checked out normally. Um, Unfortunately, the only true way to diagnose endometriosis is with a surgery. And that is something that I chose to do for myself at age 21 or 22. Right, so you pushed for that surgery. Oh, yes. Now, you say that you intuitively knew you had endometriosis before the doctors found it. Mm-hmm. When and how did, did it begin? Like, what made you so sure? Sure. Um, that's a great question. And I think a lot of it had to do with, forgive me for sounding woo-woo here, but doing a lot of self-work a lot of personal development, a lot of spiritual development to where I felt a little bit more in tune with what I felt like I should be doing and how I felt like I should be feeling, if that makes sense. Of course. It's kind of a woo-woo podcast. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, So so yeah, I mean, at 22, my symptoms were so severe that I had a couple um, instances where I was laying in bed at night fearful of going to sleep because I was certain that I wouldn't wake up. Or that I had, you know, something that had burst inside of my body. I was, I just, I felt like I was going to die. My my face was pale. I had those cold sweats. I was completely immobile. During your period. During my period. Only. Yes, yes. For me, it was only during my period, um, for the most part, when the symptoms were that severe. So I got everything checked out. I went to multiple gynecologists. I tried taking, you know, I went to the ER on one specific evening where I was certain that I had a a ruptured appendix or a ruptured cyst. I, you know, it felt so severe and I was given Vicodin and that was pretty much it. They said, here you go. There's nothing wrong. Go home. 
Um, and you know, I such was such a typical ER story, it's such <laughs> a typical ER story, especially for women on their period. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, especially for women, but uh, oh, I'll just, I, <laughs> I could, we could have a whole other episode about how women are treated at the doctors. It always comes up. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And it, it's even more so when it revolves around your period and especially when you're seeing a male doctor because mm. they literally don't understand and they never can. They can sympathize and they can, you know, they know their medical jargon and what happens to your uterus once a month, but they don't understand what the level of responsibility and feelings are in re- in regards to our periods. So it's impossible to understand. It is. So I, I give them that, but I feel like as a whole, the medical system could try just a little bit harder. Yeah. Just a little bit I harder. I agree with you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had to I had to go through the ringer. I had to lay in bed thinking that I might not wake up the next morning. I had to quit my job. Um, now, were your periods heavy during this time or it was mostly the pain? So they were pretty moderate. Um, I what again, I was on birth control for from age 14 to age 24. I'm almost one year clean and sober off of birth control. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so I never had a real um, natural period. So that's something that I was disconnected from at this time. Um, the birth controls that I was on really helped to minimize the blood flow, but not the cramping at all. But isn't that what they're prescribed for? Yes. Or for both? Definitely for both. I mean, okay. they, they can be prescribed for um, like for anything from acne to right. cramps to a lot of bleeding to just being irregular even. And that's another whole topic. The overprescription or the overprescribing of birth control is is rampant, and yeah. I, I think it's really detrimental to health. And it gets pushed on you it, at the gynecologist. It it's does. Like, it does. It's really interesting. I was listening to an interview, and I can't remember who it was with, but they mentioned that them getting put on birth control was almost a rite of passage. And I, f- and I, you know, in retrospect, I feel very similarly. When I was fourteen, I felt. I'm becoming a woman. I'm finally on birth control. <gasps> totally. Isn't that horrible? I did too. Yeah. But I, I immediately went insane when I took birth control. <laughs> like it, the first thing that happened was that my mind went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I can't be on this. Right. But that is so fascinating and yeah. true. And what a backwards mentality. Like you're finally a woman. Here is this fake hormone to suppress <gasps> your period and make you think you're pregnant now you're a woman i'm having such an extreme reaction i'm so upset isn't that insane <laughs> i'm so upset. oh my god i feel like my heart stopped pounding I for know. a second i was like wait because i think a lot of young girls must feel that way absolutely it oh, made me Jesus. it made me feel like i could finally have sex you know like sure. that, i think that's kind of the condoms are cool plugs for condoms yeah. holla I actually just tell the gynecologist now when I go in that I am totally ready to get pregnant. Oh. And I tell them that so that we don't have a conversation. I mean, I, I've been in a partnership for four years and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And I will, I can and will have a child if, if that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of true. Sure. But I'm basically like, yeah, I'm trying. Because <laughs> I can't. No. I can't tolerate the conversation around you need to be on birth control anymore. Oh, absolutely. I just can't. It makes me so mad. Yeah. And that's – I lucked out with a, a good gynecologist and a good – um, doctor nowadays that I can have that very direct conversation like I am purposely off of birth control I'm treating myself as if I will never be on it and no I don't want to get pregnant can we skip over to the next question <laughs> yeah you're like I know things I'm yeah, 25 exactly exactly <laughs> I know how to take care of myself yeah that's great so you started to intuitively guess that that you had this mm. how, now I have to tell you I didn't actually 
learn about endometriosis till I was a bit older. So I'm curious about how you even knew about it. Yes. And that is a great point. I actually feel very fortunate because a girl that I grew up with was very open about her struggle with it. She was diagnosed when she was 12 or 13, had one of her ovaries removed. I mean, she's, she has gone through the gamut of procedures for endo and because she was so vocal about it, I was very curious. She told me she had really bad periods, and I was like, well, so do I. I wonder if I have this. And mind you, I've known her since I was 12, I think, and I didn't begin to feel intuitively about the endo until I was about 20. So it took about eight years of her kind of in the back of my mind talking about it to where I really started digging in. Um, Because I knew something was wrong with my body, I was not – feeling well and I knew that I shouldn't be going to sleep every every month of my period thinking that I might not wake up. I just started to do my own research and endometriosis was something that came up time and time again. But unfortunately, there was a lot of conflicting information and there was a lot of very vague information. And like you said, I had never heard of it only because of her is the reason I found out and we're not taught about this. And it actually affects one in 10 women. And wow. that's, I mean, 10%, it's it's pretty staggering to think that most people that you come across probably have never heard of it, yet if you are in a room with 10 women, it's likely that one woman has it. Right. Yeah, it's so true. I didn't hear about it or learn about it until I started my own health journey. Mm-hmm. So I was like 26, 27 learning about endometriosis, sure. which seems too old. I agree, especially since... Um, you know, the pain was so severe and that we're taught that that's normal growing up, I think it can be very um, detrimental, I guess is the best word I can think of. It can be de- very detrimental to a woman's psyche to be told for, for me, it was eight years that I was A, over-exaggerating, <laughs> B, psychosomatic symptoms were arising, or C, that it was just normal. Yeah. And... Yep. Come to find out that I have a disease that may prevent me from having a baby and is, you know, causing havoc in my insides, I think was kind of the most amazing news I've ever heard. And And the fact that that was the best news I've ever heard goes to show how backwards the system is for telling me how normal it was or how overreacting I was. And that's such a common theme for people with – for women. I mostly speak to women because the majority of women – it seems like more women are sick. Oh, yes. So especially with autoimmune, that's proven, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But uh, when I talk to women, it's such a common theme that this – you know, you're overreacting, it's psychosomatic, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what disease no. you have as long as it's like a little bit elusive. Mm-hmm. So Lyme disease, mm-hmm. that happened with me. It still happens with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bro, I have a diagnosis, blood work, I've been treated. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I don't know what to tell you. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, it's not really a thing. Right. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, it happens to women all the time with autoimmune stuff, oh, with, with anything related to hormone health. So, you know, it's just interesting and, and sad. I agree. So what are the symptoms that that you think a, a woman should be watching out for? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think – the biggest one is is going to be pain during your period and around your period. Um, and that can include pain, of course, your typical cramping, pain in your lower back, um, in your joints, an overall sense of fatigue. But here's the tricky part. It's to the point where it's 
inhibiting your normal activities. Yeah, like what kind of pain are – I mean, you described your pain. Sure. You're like in cold sweats. You're not sure you're going to wake up in the Correct. morning. That is extreme. Were you also taking a muscle relaxer and in that kind of pain? Um, I probably – it's it's really <laughs> – at this point, it's really hard to tell. I was prescribed a couple different opiates and a couple different muscle relaxers over the years. Um, I definitely – for probably six years, I took muscle relaxers every period. Um, but the thing with endo and pretty much all hormone issues is that it's, it's very so much person to person. But again, I think it's really important to just allow yourself time in solitude to kind of reflect on how you're feeling, um, regardless of what doctors are saying and really ask yourself, does this feel normal? Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to say that's such a good... It's You know, it's hard and, and it's. I wish I could just say like, oh, here's your red flag and if you have this one flag, go into the doctor, you for sure have endo. But you could be completely asymptomatic and like I said, you could be trying to have a baby and all of a sudden get told by your doctor that it's suspected endometriosis and then... You know, then you then you start to reflect on, oh, you know what, my my period has actually been um, a little irregular, or I've been in a lot of pain. Oh, one symptom that I can think of is that bowel issues, digestive issues, because of the inflammation in the uterus or around the abdominal cavity when the endometrial tissue begins to try to um, shed. A lot of issues arise in the digestive and the bladder system. Um, for me specifically, it was IBSD, which is diarrhea, the fun stuff. Oh, nice. Um, so every time, even to this day when I get my period, I experience diarrhea very badly for about one to two days. Wow. Yeah. So that's something that women can also look out for. And they do ask at the gynecologist, like, do you have pain pain during bowel movements mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or or whatever? Sure. Do you have irregular bowel movements right. and stuff like that? So – that's really interesting. And I think another good point, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I do not have this issue, I do cramp. Mm-hmm. But like if I'm cramping, I'm still able to move around. Mm-hmm. I'm still able to do my daily stuff. Right. Um, if I'm cramping and take ibuprofen, the pain goes away. Mm-hmm. So like that's the kind of thing that I imagine. Like I have – like I told you I have this blog coming out and I drank this raspberry leaf tea for 30 days mm-hmm. straight and I got zero cramps. That's amazing. But like – Here's the thing. If somebody has endometriosis, that stuff's not really going to work, no, right? Like, right. likely not. And <laughs> I was taking like 800 milligram ibuprofen just to get up and move and look somewhat normal to the outside world. Right. And so that's – I think that's a big difference. It's like yes. cramping is – somewhat normal mm-hmm. like cramping happens I of think course. that it's I don't think it's necessarily supposed to happen the way it happens in our society today but mm-hmm. it happens mm-hmm. and then there's this yes extra yeah so if you're trying to treat cramps and you feel that you're not really gaining enough um enough help to live a normal life then that's definitely a red flag right so how did you push for the testing because that is not an easy thing to do and we talk a lot about self-advocacy on this show so how'd you do it I am maybe the world's biggest proponent of self and patient advocacy. I mean, it was a struggle. It took me eight years to get diagnosed, and it wasn't until my final ER visit when one of the nurses looked at me and she said, I'm pretty sure you have endometriosis. And she looked into my eyes and, like, read me in a way that no other doctor has. And I know I'm sure you can imagine that we can we can feel like passed off and not really seen and heard by a lot of doctors. 
but the way that she engaged with me in a very serious manner and said endometriosis to me, and this was the very first time that any medical practitioner had ever used that word with me, and I had been in and out of gynecologists since I was 14 with severe period pain. Um, So when she said that, I immediately found a new gynecologist. I gathered all the symptoms I could. I did all the Googling I could and made a list of symptoms that I felt were contributing or a part of the endometriosis that didn't seem necessarily related. Um, I went into my doctor, the new doctor, and I said, I'm pretty sure I have endo. Here are the symptoms I have. What are the next steps? And I made sure to be very, very um, convicted in my approach to her that I, I felt very strongly in my gut that something was wrong and based off of, you know, my preparation and my, like I said, my conviction, she agreed to do the laparoscopic surgery with me. Wow. Yeah. That's great. So, and sometimes it is about that. It's about going to a different doctor. Absolutely. um, And going to five different doctors, seven different doctors Mm -hmm. until the one that you meet is willing to do the testing that you need. Yes. Um, that is part of self-advocacy and patient advocacy. So that's incredible. Um, so I really want to switch into the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, not that this isn't all solution because it is, <laughs> but how the fuck do you naturally work with endometriosis it, and like heal yeah. it and balance your hormones and mm-hmm. and all of that stuff? Sure. Well, so as a holistic health coach, I'm clearly obsessed with holistic health and wellness. However, when it comes to a lot of serious illnesses, I am a big proponent of integrative medicine which is the integration of both the Eastern and Western practices. Um, For me personally, I've had two surgeries for my endo, and I don't believe that I would be as um, healthy today without them. That said, there are a lot of things that women can do on their own. During the surgeries, they remove the the, the linings? So the the tissue, correct. So it's a very minimally invasive surgery. They they do very small incisions in your abdomen, and it's, you know, in and out. I was home later that day. Um, So it was very minimally invasive. They go in there and they burn or cut off the um, growths that are outside of the uterus and send them to a pathology to make sure it's endo. Um, So I've had two of those procedures, and not all women need that. For me, my my pain was so severe that I, like I said, I was I was missing work. I quit I quit work. I was considering quitting school. I mean, it was to the point where I had nothing else to do, and I also didn't have the information about natural health at this point. It was my diagnosis that launched me into holistic health. So backtracking here, a lot of things that women can do revolve around diet and lifestyle, and not even just women with endo, women with PCOS, with heavy periods, with cramps, with hormones, you know, hormonal acne. Um, A lot of things that we can do stem from how we live our life. So I think a few of the biggest things are liver support. Um, Our hormones are processed through the liver. So if we're drinking alcohol every day, if we are eating sugar every day, if we are exposed to a lot of toxins, for example, a lot of chemicals, those are actually going to have huge implications on our hormones. And like I said, it's not even just women with endo. I think all women in general could really benefit from reducing their sugar intake, reducing their processed food intake, reducing their alcohol intake. Not all alcohol. 
okay, you guys can have your glass of wine at night, but if you're drinking heavily every day, it's going to have a huge implication on our hormones. Let's talk about this. So let's take a quick break for the weekly challenge. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. Some of the challenges may not work for you and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, so this week's weekly challenge is to ditch refined sugar for one week. You can do it. You can do it. Yes. I do not eat refined sugar. Amen. Um, tell me about why refined sugar makes it all worse. Sure. So <laughs> all of it. It is not just women oh, no. for women. It's not just for women with cramps. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is for everyone this is like a universal truth yes ladies have your husband have your brother have your kids join you in this challenge i think everyone could really benefit from this um it will hurt for a couple of days oh it will (laughs) trust i was a sugar fiend growing up and when i cut out sugar i went cold turkey and i and i shit you not it is basically heroin you know it is basically heroin and i had the cold sweats and i almost fainted and i was super irritable and terrible headaches I don't mean to scare you, but again, that's what sugar does to you. It does, and I think that's a big warning sign. If you're if you're removing something from your diet and you feel like you're withdrawing from heroin, there's something going on there. There's something going <laughs> yes. on there. And let's just touch quickly on refined sugar versus yes. naturally occurring sugar. Sure, sure. So refined sugar are going to be the things that you find in clearly the candies, the cookies, um, and sneakily in things like salad dressings, in things like sauces, in things like packaged foods, um, frozen foods, things like that. A lot of things are going to be made with sugar. What does refined sugar look like on the ingredient label? Oh gosh, I wish I had a list of it in front of me, but it could be anything from corn syrup to dextrose to maldextrin to sugar, cane sugar, um, alcohol sugar. I mean, I... I'd be happy to provide you guys with a list. There are so many. We'll link many. to it in the show notes. There for are sure. so many. Um, so pretty much a lot of, almost anything that you buy in a package, in the freezer, in a bag, I would say about 70 to 80% of those things are going to have hidden sugars in them. Um, so you want to be very careful reading the label, uh, reading ingredients, and trying to stay on the aisle of the grocery store. That's where you're going to find your produce, your meats, your fresh vegetables, Nuts and seeds, things like that are going to be much more beneficial for your entire body, not just your hormones, but your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your heart, your energy levels. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is affected by sugar because sugar actually increases the, um, the production of a stress hormone, cortisol. When that is very high, we're unable to lose weight. We're unable to stay focused. We're unable to properly make sex hormones. It really affects our estrogen level, which is something that is very important for our period, our fertility, and our overall health and wellness. So when you're pumping sugar into your body, you're unable to 
uh, give your body enough focus to create those sex hormones in a positive and a normal way that it might throw off your period, that you might get hormone, um, hormonal acne, cramps, excess bleeding, things like that are actually potentially linked to an over um, an overindulgence in sugar. Great. It's crazy. I mean, not great, but great for those of us who don't consume it. Yes. So what do you do when when you get the cravings? Like oh, I sure. have my little tricks, but. Sure. So it depends person to person. There's a ton of natural sweeteners out there that you can refer to that don't um, contain such blood sugar spiking ingredients and aren't as highly processed. Um, ones that I love are going to be raw honey, coconut sugar, 100% pure maple syrup, um, those are going to be my three favorites. And then things like fruit, dates, uh, dried dates are great to add to any baked goods. Um, They're strawberries, so bananas, anything like that is going to be a great source of the sweetness without the chemically processed and blood sugar spiking ingredients of refined sugar. Do you ever use stevia? I do occasionally. However, it tends to not agree with my digestive system. And that's a personal thing. I definitely do prefer it. I do have a little stash of stevia in my purse at times. Um, So that's definitely a good option as well. Cool. This is such useful information and I am totally ready to – I mean, actually, while I will say that I do not choose refined sugar, but I think because I'm so much healthier and because I'm healthy now, Mm -hmm. these things sneak into my life in ways that I just don't think about. Mm -hmm. So it will be super interesting for me to be looking at ingredients all week and making sure that not a single refined sugar gets in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Also, last week I definitely ate like a gluten-free and vegan brownie and uh, vegan ice cream. So Mm -hmm. like – that I'm not gonna do (laughs) there yeah there you go it's tough Um, every once in a while for me it's okay but like I think a week is great to not do any of that I think so too so I also wanted to talk about naturally balancing hormones and getting off your birth control situation yeah um so that's something that I chose to personally do on my own without the help of a doctor I finished one pack of my birth control and I never took a pill again. And you've been on the gamut. Uh, yes. I've went through, you know, the low estrogen, the high estrogen, the IUD, the Seasonique, um, you you name it, I've been on it. Um, so for me, I, because of my endometriosis, I knew that I really wanted to naturally, you know, uh, help out my hormones in a way that I had never done before as an adult or even as an adolescent. So I decided to cut cold turkey, and I think the biggest things that people can do are A, work with a doctor, um, someone that you trust, someone that you feel comfortable talking about this decision with, and B, really focusing on your lifestyle. So things like, again, refined sugar, it's going to make that withdrawal period a lot more severe if you are constantly eating processed foods and refined sugar. So eating a diet high in vegetables, in healthy fats like cholesterol, believe it or not, because cholesterol is a building block of our sex hormones. So that's something that's really important. Um, If you are not vegan and you can eat a source of cholesterol, things like grass-fed butter, eggs and egg egg yolks, um, meat that has fat on it, those are going to be really, really helpful in actually kind of coding the withdrawal period of of the birth control, the hormonal birth control. Um, so what kind of diet do you follow? So I follow what is referred to as a paleo template. I definitely have taken my own personal leeways with it. I do indulge in 
things like white rice, quinoa now and now and again, um, cheeses. However, personally for me right now, I'm on an autoimmune protocol and that's something that I'm working with my functional medicine practitioner on um, to treat uh, my digestive issues. So that's something Great. that can be very beneficial for digestion. Great. So with getting off the hormones and doing the, the eating the way that you are, mm-hmm. And lifestyle, other lifestyle changes, sure. which you can totally touch on now or after I ask this question. <laughs> um, uh, what is it? What is it you feel today? How much better are you doing? Sure. Um, so for me, because I'm still dealing with the endo. Okay, let me backtrack. Actually, I was told that I should be on birth control until I decide to get pregnant. Even after my two surgeries, it's very normal for women with endo to be put on the birth control to just kind of keep symptoms at bay for as long as possible. Um, I decided that it was time for me to keep my symptoms at bay purely with my lifestyle choices because I have cut out every other prescription drug on the market except for hormonal birth control. So I decided to come off of it. Um, Again, like you said, the lifestyle choices, I think a a few things that are really important are going to be stress management. Actually, I'm going to say that's probably the number one thing is to manage your stress. Um, you really need to be kind to yourself, to your body's natural ebbs and flows, especially when it's coming off of a period of time where it thinks it's pregnant for an extended period of time. I mean, my God. 10 years of my life, my body didn't ovulate. And I, and I think that's a misconception a lot of women have is that they're getting a period on their birth control and actually it's completely false. We're not ovulating we're not actually menstruating, and we're not going through the hormonal changes of the 28-day cycle. So that's something that our body needs to get used to after the birth control. And things like meditation, um, going on walks, even talking to your partner about how you're feeling is going to be so important during this time as your body gets used to its natural cycle again. Right, of course. Yeah. So when you bleed and you're on birth control, are you shedding a uterus lining? You are, okay. but it's yeah, but it's created purely by the hormones in um, in the birth control as opposed to the natural hormones. So you're not really you like if I asked you right now if you had a 28 day cycle and you were on birth control, it would be a completely fabricated, I guess you could say, cycle that right. isn't really in tune with anything that the rest of your body is going through. It's purely um, created by the pill that you're taking. Right. So getting off of this birth control was a challenge oh, yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, Ultimate, what are the differences? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, to be completely honest, I'm feeling pretty much the same. Um, for me, the reason I was on the birth control was for cramps. And my cramps have stayed just the same coming off of it, which is great because they were they were decent after my surgeries. And my doctor told me to expect severe, severe cramping when I came off of the pill. And I basically gave him the finger from afar. I didn't really. <laughs> um, and I said, you know what? I can manage this on my own. And now I have one day a month where my period is – it's not to the point where I can't do anything. It's at the point where I'd rather not do anything. And that's a huge, huge step in the right direction for me personally. I wake up. I bleed. I am definitely crampy and a little irritable. And then the next day, I'm totally fine. Whereas, you know, three years ago, I would have been in bed for three days wishing that I was dead. So I'd say I'd made pretty damn good progress. Yeah. And what do you, what do you credit that to? Um, I, 
I would say I credit it to one finding a surgeon very skilled in endometriosis and I any LA ladies out here who are possibly dealing with it I'd be happy to give you his name he's at Cedar Sinai he's freaking awesome I love him we'll link to him in the show notes yes um so that is number one someone who's very skilled in what they do um, and that took a lot of research on my time. On, I mean, on my part. Um, and number two, it would be my lifestyle choices. I mean, um, in the past few years, I've cut out all processed and refined foods, and I focus very heavily on nutrient density. Um, I'm very adamant about my stress management, about personal development, about nurturing my relationships, getting sunshine. I mean, there's so much that we can do on our own if we don't have the resources to seek out a doctor or if we don't really know what's going on I think the first step is to remove the toxicity that we're taking in 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 the form of toxic relationships toxic food Um, it may be even the chemicals that you're using to clean your house could be contributing to it Um, and then really focusing on fueling our body our mind and our soul with things that are going to nourish us Mm, yeah (laughs) so walk us through a day kind of like how you balance a big full life with self-care how Mm -hmm. did you do it today Mm -hmm. or how are you doing it today it's 251 I'm like I'm halfway there I know (laughs) um so every morning I wake up I play a little bit of music I lay in my bed and I practice my gratitude and I think of three things specifically each day that I'm grateful for and that's something that I recommend people do every single day regardless of where you are in your life um so I lie in my bed for about 10 minutes just kind of pondering my gratitudes I wake up and I make a matcha latte I go out into my backyard and I read for about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how rushed I am, maybe about 10 minutes if I'm really rushed. Um, I get ready and I do a little bit of movement, even if it's in the form of like 10 jumping jacks or 10 air squats, I try to just move a tiny bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to ask, how important is exercise? It's, it's. I mean, it's important to everyone. I agree. It's it's definitely very important. Um, but I don't like the word exercise. I like the word movement. Love it. Because some people, like, I, you don't need to go to a gym. You do not, I mean, I think it's great that people lift weights and I think it's very beneficial for the human body, but don't feel like shit if you don't do that, you know? Get out and go on a walk or, like, play with your dog on the floor. I mean, as long as you're moving around, you're really doing your body and your mind so much good. I love it. Okay. Yeah. So, continue. Sorry. So, yeah, no. So, my morning is just uh, most importantly is my gratitude reading getting outside and making my matcha um, are kind of the most important things I'm all about rituals and I think if people implement any sort of self-care ritual in the morning give it five minutes to five hours I think it can really start us off on the right foot yeah so I'm a real matcha lady and everyone knows this about me Uh but I am like it's like in my profile on Instagram it's like matcha I love it so hard I love that how do you make your matcha in the morning oh I thank you for asking yeah (laughs) I like to I like to play around with it I'm actually a huge coffee person but I have been off coffee for a year now me too a year and and four months that's amazing I'm going on a year next month actually um and that was because I had some adrenal issues and some energy issues and it just wasn't really agreeing with me Um, So right now I'm making my matcha with hot water, a splash of full-fat coconut milk, a scoop of collagen, and a little bit of vanilla extract, and then I throw that in the blender, pour it over into my mug, and it's nice and frothy on top. Yeah. So good. I love it. so good. Um, Just a splash of coconut milk. Yeah, just a splash right now. Um, You know, some days it's a little bit more. Do you do it from a can? 
I do. I yeah. have a favorite brand that I use from a can. It's very, very fatty. What is it? Um, it's called Aroy D, A-R-O-Y dash D. I get it at like my local Filipino market. Oh. Uh, so I don't think it's super easy to find. It's like I think it's like an Asian specific Got brand. It. You could probably find it on Amazon though. If you guys are listening, you want to look on there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I kind of want it. Okay. Because yeah. I use goat milk a lot of the time ah. with my matcha in the if I do it in the blender. Mm-hmm. But if I do it in my like frother mm-hmm, machine, mm-hmm. then I just use almond milk, which I'm going to start making at home because the stuff we buy in the store is disgusting. And so expensive. Yeah. But also just like full of shitty ingredients. So much shit. I know. So throughout the rest of your day, mm-hmm. we have to end with this, but I just want to hear the juicy stuff oh, from sure. the rest of the day. Yeah. How do you, when you're in the middle of like the jam and mm-hmm. a jam jam, mm-hmm. how do you manage the self-care sure sure so again movement is very important I work part-time at a desk at a computer in a garage so I actually have an alarm on my phone for every 45 minutes I get up and I walk to the kitchen or I walk into the backyard do some sort of squats or some sort of stretching so I think that is super important to just kind of switch up the movements that you're doing in the day to break from the computer screen to break from work um, and just breathe a little bit um and then at lunchtime I always make it a point to eat away from my computer screen Mm. I think that's something like we talked about everyone's on the go I make it a point to be very intentional with um fueling my body I think it's kind of it's like a sacred practice for me I sit down I put my headphones in I listen to a beautiful song or jam out whatever whatever the mood I'm feeling and I eat my food and then Again, I practice gratitude a lot. I'm really, really, um, I'm really trying to be as grateful as possible. I think a lot of us with chronic illness can get stuck in that cycle of, you know, victimization or frustration or just kind of darkness. And a lot of what has helped me get out of that is just focusing on the gratitude. And of course, you can be upset about your circumstances. I give you all the freedom to cry and to feel like shit and to feel like this isn't fair because it's not. But to also remember that if you're listening to this, you have a smartphone or a computer. If you live in America, you probably have running water. I mean, just thinking about the little things throughout the day that give us just a tiny bit better of a life is so, so crucial. Um, so I do that throughout the day and then I go home and I play with my cat. I love to cook. So I make sure I'm in the kitchen for at least 20 minutes, even if it's prepping leftovers from the night before I kind of go in there, zone out and then put on a face mask and do some reading and go to bed. It's great. Yeah. That's so great. I do what I can. <laughs> yeah, we do it. We do the best we can yes. each day with our self-care sure. routines. But that sounds like a really balanced life. And that's what we're all aiming for. So guys, yes. I hope you took some great tips from this episode. To contact Emily, you can contact her on Facebook at Whole Health Emily. Or um, her Instagram handle is Whole Health underscore Emily. That's me. And her website is inwholehealth.com. So you can contact her any of these ways. And if you have any questions about endometriosis or wanting to work with Emily as your health coach, please contact her. Um, Write to me if you have any other issues or concerns or complaints. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and share this with your friends. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And thank you so much, Emily, for all of that information. And we will see everybody next week. Bye. Bye.